on the events, find Reservoir Church and all the scripture should be for there, there for you. It will be on the screen or you can just listen. If you have a paper Bible, it's an extra crown in heaven. Maybe not really, Derry, but you got it. He's already got it. He's, like, he's going to give that crown right back to Jesus. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay, here's the word of the Lord. Numbers 9, starting at 9, 15. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle of the tent of the testimony. And at evening it was over the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. When the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time, that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets of hammered work, you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And when both are blown, all the congregations shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the chiefs, the head of the tribes of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm on the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you for a perpetual state statute throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies." On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feast, and at the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for still covering us, Father, with your grace and your protection. Thank you that even though we're not uh, blowing trumpets today, Father, that we know that you are here in whatever situation we have, we can rely on you. If our mind is stayed on you, you give us perfect peace. We love you, Lord. We ask, Father, that you would bless the words of Jonathan, that you would give them, that you would give him your words, and that we would be attentive and listen, and that it would go into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Johnny. Mm So those in Christ are never alone and given a family to wander with. So if you are in Jesus, you've professed faith in him, you are never alone. And he, in fact, 
Not only doesn't leave you alone, he gives you a family that you can wander with, especially in those moments of your wilderness journey. Now, I don't know if it's a new phenomenon, but I was reading this week about uh, what they describe as the loneliness epidemic. We've become increasingly familiar with that. We're getting studies now on um, how much the pandemic affected mental health and other things. The UK actually has a commission on loneliness to raise awareness and provide solutions for those feeling lonely. You can actually get a job paid by the government to go hang out with elderly in their community so that they won't feel lonely. Japan has appointed a minister of loneliness, which is a cabinet-level government office to tackle the epidemic in that country. Just globally, like people are alone. There is a feeling of loneliness. And there's a that global pandemic did not help the problem at all. And while some of us, even in here, may see technology as a savior in those situations of loneliness, because we can just bring somebody up on screen or we have some social connectivity in social media, it actually deceives us into believing we are connected when we are simply just being numbed by images and information coming our way, but we're not belonging to others. In, in the United States, and this is where the article comes into play, the Harvard Graduate School of Education um, did a study a couple of years ago, and they said in our recent national survey of Americans, 36% of respondents reported serious loneliness, feeling lonely frequently or almost all of the time in the four weeks prior to the survey. This included 61% of young people aged 18 to 25 and 51% of mothers with young children. So maybe even in this place, we have a lot of mothers of young children and we have people, maybe you have felt alone in the midst of the wilderness of life. And the conclusion of the study was this. We need to return to an idea that was central to our founding and is at the heart of many great religious traditions. We have commitments to ourselves, but we also have vital commitments to each other. Harvard saying we were meant to belong to one another. We are meant for others, for belonging. And even so, we often find ourselves feeling alone. The human story has not changed all that much since the garden. We still need others. We need to not be alone. The people that are set apart as a witness to the world will wrestle with the exact same things in their wilderness journey. And their leader, surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people, will actually confess in the next chapter of this book to being uh, feeling like he's alone, like in his leadership, like he's the only one there. And as a whole, the nation of Israel needs this steady reminder of the presence of another in their own tribal community. There is a significant presence, and they're not alone because they're made a family with others. And so in fire, cloud, and trumpets, we have some savory truth that keeps us as we wander in our own wilderness, whatever it might be in our individual lives. And it's meant to solve the loneliness of our day with hope and with presence. 
So it provides for us. It changes how we exist and how we live and then how we love others. And it starts with God with us. I, now, Iona has been complaining about the artistic caliber of the icons, and I offered to allow her to be our artist, and so she said no. <laughs> She's not much better. So this is fire. It's like a red onion, but it's fire <laughs> and a cloud. Dissolves pulled me aside on Friday night with an elder, and that's a cloud. Does that look like a cloud? Yeah. And they, they were worried that I need to practice more so that there's no questionable thing in our stuff. And which is funny because I drew something this morning. I was like, oh no, I can't. Never mind. Okay. So here we are. God is with us. That's the, the first big idea that we get from this story. God's with Israel, right? They are all ready to go. The tabernacle is set up like up to this point in our study of the book of Numbers has been the preparation for them to be a people that worships, but then also moves out. And they've begun to worship. The priests have been given their orders. They know the sacrifices that are to be given there. And the camp is ready to set out from Sinai where Israel received the law, the instructions of how to live, the rules for the road, essentially, for them as a people. And we often say, and maybe you're in the midst of life where you're waiting for something in particular, and we hear others say that, I'm just waiting for a sign. Like, I'll act on something, I'll go after this job, I'll uh, ask this person out, and I'm just waiting for a sign to indicate that it is the right time. And here is the perfect example that Israel has their sign, the cloud covering the tent that becomes fire by night. It is very clear what they are supposed to do because that cloud and that fire is uh, near them. It provides tangible, this visible presence of God that is set to guide his people. That's what it's there for. And there's just been so much imagery so far in our study of numbers in the tent of meeting that points to the reality of the presence of God, right? God is there. We saw the light of his presence shines on the tribe, uh, tribes of Israel as the lampstand shines on the showbread on the table in the tabernacle. We read this, and maybe if you were studying or you heard John read it this morning, and you think to yourself, wow, I wish I could have a cloud. It would be so much easier to follow the Lord, to know that you should move from San Diego to Escondido because the cloud moved. Anybody else looking for a house? Like, come on, I need to change my street. But sadly, like, our prevailing interaction or thoughts of God actually prevent us from having a similar experience to the cloud and fire moments of Israel. Like many of us came to maturity in the, well, not many of us, some of us came to maturity in the early 2000s. And some of us just kept maturing in the early 2000s. But the prevailing like thinking about God, especially in evangelical churches, was what we call moralistic therapeutic Deism, right? We've all heard this. If you've been around any cage-staved Calvinists in the 2000s, they talked about this quite a bit. But it was just this prevailing view and interaction with God that essentially said these things. People are supposed to be good to each other. So there's this moral reality that we can, yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's true. 
The universal purpose of life is being happy and feeling good about oneself. Thank you, baby boomers, for that. Right? The, there is abs- no moral absolute truths. Right? So the, things start to get sketchy for us. And God allows good people into heaven. Like generally good people. And the, the kicker is the basis of what we think about who God is. And it's belief in a God who remains distant from people's lives. So we can see where like just that overarching mentality or approach to God would make it difficult to recognize his presence or think that he's actually around us, interested, involved in our lives. Because everything we hear from pulpits and from media says, well, God's far off, so you better just be good and maybe you'll be rewarded later on. It's a God that is far off and aloof It's far easier to criticize him and diminish him as someone that's absent, uninterested as a God. But how he has revealed himself to Israel here and then in his word, in the totality of it, shows that he is actually present. He is interested and he is involved in our lives, even as we wander through the wilderness. The cloud and fire prove his presence to Israel in the wilderness. And the people only had to look up and see to trust his guidance that he hasn't abandoned them. And they will certainly end up looking down and forget to look up. They will start to be disobedient. We get that in chapter 11 in some really big ways. But they have this visible reminder that all they have to do is lift their eyes and recognize that God is guiding them as a people. But more than just proving that point, I think it points to something better, to physical presence that the people will continue to long for and arrives. And we see a prophetic promise of it in Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Been waiting for a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is Jesus, God with us. He is the cloud and fire, not just in his public ministry for the cross and the resurrection, but for all of time. No longer hovering above the tent, he has moved instead into new temples. Those temples are you and me, and we think we need a new tent. We think we just need a better space to experience God's presence. If only I could be at Petco Park, I would recognize God's presence. Or if only I could stand in the midst of Yosemite as the waters fall. One writer says, sacred space is the beginning of the resacralizing of creation despoiled by our sin. Yet in the gospel, we don't make a pilgrimage to a holy place to find God. God makes a pilgrimage to a ruin to find us and turns us into a holy place. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, look. Amen. Because it's true. Like people, oh, I wish I had that cloud and fire. Like you have that cloud and fire in your very being by the work of Christ. That's dynamite to our loneliness. 
Because you're never alone. You have God with you. You never walk alone. Even when we fail to see it, when we don't lift our eyes right, when we fail to be aware of his presence, he is faithful to remain near, abiding there with us. What good news this is. And it's the message that will continue to be communicated to God's people. And some of us in our Bible reading are are in Deuteronomy now, which is like the retelling of the story to the second generation. And the Lord says there, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, the enemies, right, that are before them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is to keep them going into the promised land. And what is said to Israel in the wilderness is said to us in our wilderness. Right? We see it in Hebrews 13. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And that... That utterly changes everything about how we approach life, how we approach relationship, how we approach the things that we attack in our lives or go after. And we don't have to feel alone because he is never going to forsake us. Never going to leave us. I have a fair bit of personal experience of being familiar with people who do not want to be alone. And one of the terrible things about being a pastor's family is that you're often used as illustrations. So since Ewan is not in this room, you cannot tell him I talked about him this morning, right? Like where some people are scared of the dark, Ewan just doesn't like the dark because he's alone in it, right? This is a 10-year-old boy that he's like, I don't want to take a shower because nobody else is in there with me. And it's like, dude, that would be weird. So we're working on it, right? But I think like... He's just like from a very pure place exposing or uncovering something that is just foundational in us. A deep longing for belonging, a deep need that is met most deeply by the presence of Jesus in our lives. And oh, that we would know that. We would sense his presence, that we would recognize we've been made a temple and the Holy Spirit dwells in us as we've professed faith and trusted in Jesus. It's the guidance that Israel needs, and it's what we need to make our journey through this world, the grace of his presence around us. One writer says, in the New Testament, the apostles continually remind us that our journey in sanctification through the wilderness of this age is by the ongoing grace of God, the same grace that first delivered us through the new exodus from slavery to sin. Our story is Israel's story, and the gospel gives the presence of God to us. Peace, the absence of condemnation, the experience of God's favor, these things are only to be found by pleading the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our place. If our hope is resting on the righteousness of Christ, then we have the favor of God and the presence of God with us right now. That is an amen moment. And that presence here in this story and in our lives promotes obedience. We, we heard it. We saw it, right? At the command of the Lord, the command of Yahweh, they camped. At the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Did you know that whole section 915 through 20, was it 23 or 26, the end, 23? That, that's a song. 
Like, and John failed us by not singing it. And many he didn't know that it was a song. But it was meant to be sung and remind each other of those truths of being obedient. But they got to see the cloud and fire and follow the Lord. And in the same way, when the trumpets that he told them to use were blown, they would hear. And he said, when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. They would hear and obey. So they'd see and follow, hear and obey. They would be called to action by the presence of God. Here's, here's how Jesus says it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. You don't have to listen for trumpets. You don't have to look for the cloud or fire. The Spirit dwells in you and we're helped by his presence to obey our Lord. Prompted by the Spirit, anchored in the word, we have what we need to live in response to his rescue. We're invited into that. And scripture is both where we receive our marching orders and where we are reminded what we are marching toward. I have the joy most days of taking the kids to school. So I do the drop off and we we're reading through Job right now. Ooh, that's some good stuff. It starts our day super bright, at least early. Right. But it's been wet. And so we were in the van and starting to pull out of the driveway. This is when we still had the van this week. Um, And I turned on the wipers, right, to clear the windshield of the water. And Adia said to me, Dad, you know the road. You don't need your wipers. Right? And at that moment... That's, you've just preached my whole sermon, Adia, right? Because I told her I know the road, but I still need to see it, right? I think for some of us, this might be an invitation to repentance of knowing the way, but neglecting it, right? Like, I know scripture so much, so I don't want to go to it again, but I could, because it's easier to neglect it when I'm not looking at it, or I know the Lord has called me to do something, to live in such a way, but I don't want to follow it because my own flesh wants something different. And we have a theology of life here in Numbers 9 and 10. We, who by God's grace know Jesus as Lord and Savior, have great motivation to obey him, for God has given us both his word and his spirit's presence to guide us in his will. We have our sign. We have our call. We have what obedience looks like. And we run after it because of the presence of the Lord in us. And our obedience to his way also serves as a reminder before the Lord. Did you, did you notice that? Of the trumpets? That they would blow the trumpets and the Lord would re- be reminded of his care of them? In one... A scholar says blowing the trumpets was more than just a way of summoning the people to come to the tabernacle or to follow the cloud. It was a kind of prayer, a plead to God to remember his people and their needs that you may be remembered before the Lord your God. We see this all over the Psalms too. Like, Lord, remember us. Don't leave us. In the midst of this, see our enemies and remember your covenant with us, your promise. And while their enemies are strong, it is the Lord himself, symbolized by the very ark that they carry, who goes before Israel, scattering his and their enemies. And God provides whatever victory comes to them. 
And we have that in spades in Jesus. Because we, we get to pray, we get to cry out like, Lord, don't forgive me, forget me. You have solved it. You've made me free. Hallelujah, I'm free. And Hebrews tells us, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I want you to get the image of Jesus blowing a silver trumpet in the throne room of heaven so that God knows you and cares for you. That's what he lives to do. So God is with us. God is guiding us. God is caring for us, protecting us. And for the church's gospel marching orders, we too have the promise of Christ's triumphal presence with us, along with the assurance that he will subdue all of his and our enemies in life. We see it in the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, look up, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Romans 16, the God of peace, I love that. The image of the God of peace who will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In Christ, you are not alone. You are the temple of his dwelling. Live accordingly. And that is that's great news. Like that's, uh, that's enough. That's only 25 minutes. And we're not Anglican. Thank you, Derry. <laughs> this is great news for us, but there, there's more. Are you ready for it? It's us with God. And so this is, this is worse. I mean, the image is worse. Um, so let's get a couple, a couple people here. How do you, what does a trumpet look like, huh? Okay, there's a bell. It's got to be straight. Okay, dairy. You get it. A couple people blowing a trumpet, however accurate to the real one. It is, right? But we have cloud and fire, and we have silver trumpets. They are markers for the the people. <laughs> They're, they're a reminder for the whole congregation because there is an us in this story. The wilderness journey is not supposed to be a solitary endeavor. Like, Do you recognize that? God does not meet them at Sinai, hand out maps to individuals and say, see you on the other side. No, he leads the nation, the congregation Together, and we are, met, we are made for others. Even in the midst of God's presence, he gives us a people. 
here Israel is organized into tribes, and this is how they worship and how they go to war. And one pastor says, after the journey through the wilderness was over and the people had entered the promised land, these trumpets were still regularly to be used for two events, warfare and worship. They were to be sounded whenever the people went into battle and whenever they gathered for their festivals. At the sound of the trumpet, the community would gather together either to fight or to fellowship in praise. The trumpets would issue a continuing call to exercise obedience to God's demands. It's a model of how we worship and wage spiritual war. We do it with others, with this family that we've been given. And often we try to face our struggles on our own. We live in this culture that cherishes individualism, yet we are to be a community of believers, a family of God's people, a military unit that fights together and is committed to the policy that there is no man or woman left behind. When one person hurts, we all hurt. When one person rejoices, we all rejoice. And now we want to see, you know, like, just know this. I, I pre-preach this to my wife, and she's like, well, I like to be alone on occasion. <laughs> Mother of three, husband of one, or wife of one. I'm the husband. <laughs> you got what I mean, right? So, like, we, we don't want to throw shade on breaks or solitude or being alone. Like, there is grace for the introvert among us, right? But these moments are not meant to be our abiding posture in life. It is not to override that you have this need to belong. We have to recognize that you cannot thrive that way. You were made for community. And we see it in all our stories, right? Our heroes are never alone. The Lone Ranger has Tonto, which may be terrible cultural appropriation, but there it is, right? Batman has Robin. Mando has Grogu, right? Every Avenger is better with the team. We're meant for community, and it's just a simple recognition in the stories of our day of what works best and what we're actually made for. And you have to know it comes with a cost. Because obedience, obedience always comes with a cost. We're told to take up our cross and follow Jesus, count the cost of following him, and being part of a family of faith is going to require sacrifice, participation, availability, Things that are difficult, that cost us. And in an age full of demands on our time and presence, we thrive when we live having seen the cloud and fire's call to community. See, to the New Testament church in Hebrews 10, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There has to be a one another to stir up in community, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And we all need to find a context in which we come together with other believers to build deep and strong relationships. And we believe for Reservoir, that is the church, that is this community. We need to make a space in our life where we encourage others and they are able to encourage us in our daily warfare, backed up by the Lord against our enemy. And all of it is on purpose. We are made ambassadors of Jesus together, honest, reliable, hungry 
for Jesus. We need each other. A C.S. Lewis scholar, somebody who studied C.S. Lewis, Arthur Lindsay says this, when we live our lives in isolation, what we have is unavailable and what we lack is unprocurable, wrote Basil, an early church father. And when we live our lives independently, other people are poorer because they cannot benefit from our gifts. What we have is unavailable. Also, when we isolate ourselves, we are poorer because the benefits of others' gifts are lost to us. So what we lack, we cannot get. There are good things in others that are unprocurable unless we interact with them. I think for a long time we've done the, like the Western church wrong. is like we're going to have a really sick rock band up here and some really good music and a really funny guy to preach. Um, I don't know why I'm doing that voice, right? That's like my new voice. Like, I could be a celebrity pastor. Like, whoa. Jonas would read all my books. Um, where is I going with that? No, we, we've done so much production. The church to us has just been, like, come and be um, given a meal. Just, like, be fed something. Like, just be... Um, entertained or received, but the community of faith is you come and you give of yourself in that space. It, it might be as much as the small talk we make time for, that reminder that there are others with you that are experiencing life in similar ways that you are. Like the elders were with a couple from Berea talking about caring for our souls. And they made a statement that I thought, like, that, that can only be said in good community. And they have older children that are in their teens now. And they said to all of you with young children, no, it gets better. <laughs> right? And I think this is, do you know this is one of the reasons we, like, shook up all of our small groups? Like, we had all the young parents in a small group together. How hopeless would that be? <laughs> right? But we mixed you up because there's some old folks now in your group that their kids are out and doing their own thing, have their own kids, right? You have others with teenagers that like, this is great. You have families that leave their 13-year-old home babysitting the other kids and, they say, and you say, I can't wait till I can do that. And you realize you have boys and you got to wait till they're 15, right? But, but you find that in community, the diversity of community, the experience, the breadth, the knowledge and it's where we learn we're not alone. We hear from a brother or sister, and maybe they'll share the same challenges as you, and you're like, me too, running to Jesus for the same help as you. And I love hearing reports from our small groups of that very thing happening. It's like That's tremendously healthy. Confession of sin, confession of loneliness, and running to Jesus together. And we're more than acquaintances, guys. We're more than friends in the casual sense. And maybe this is the charge for us because spiritual friendship is where you worship together and you do battle together. Community is where renewal happens, where we're reshaped into family so others will see and desire that same belonging. 
Love what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I mean... Peter is quoting the reality of Hosea and Gomer to teach us the truth of the gospel. No matter how far off you were, in Christ you were brought in and you are made a people that will proclaim the excellencies of him who saved you. Friends, we're stronger together. We might read Numbers 9 and 10 and wish that we had a cloud. We have a cloud, a cloud of witnesses, brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We go onward looking to Jesus together. That your wilderness would not be merely aimless wandering, but surrounded by saints that are struggling in the same way you are, reminding you of Jesus's presence, that you would be a people living in wonder together before the glory of God. Those in Christ are never alone and given a family to wonder with. One day the final trumpet will sound announcing the definitive arrival of God's presence on earth. And this time it will not be in the form of a fiery pillar or as a baby at Bethlehem, but in the triumphant return of Jesus Christ to establish the new heavens and new earth. And the final trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and those believers who are still alive will be caught up into his presence. Then our wandering and our warfare will finally be over, replaced forever by worship. Friends, God is with you. For some of us, it's a call to come to Christ, to repent of lives of disregard and sin and to ask to be made his dwelling place. And it's what your soul has ached for and it is freely given to you. For the rest of us, we need to be reminded that God is with us always. In Christ, you are made the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So God is with us and you get to walk with others. You can go fast alone, but you will go far together. Obedient to Christ. Give your people more of you. Be honest. Be reliant on the Spirit for the glory of God and for our good in community. Friends, you never walk alone. It's the best life and we get to live it together, experiencing the abundance of Christ now. Let's go. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, I thank you for your word. Word that declares your presence and 
your guidance, protection, provision for your people, and that you have a people. You have formed us into a family that we would be an outpost declaring the goodness and glory of Christ that others would see, that others would find belonging with us. Or for some of us, we've neglected the reality of your presence because we don't want to be obedient to what you call us to, and we repent of that. We turn from that and we ask, Holy Spirit, for your help that we can live in obedience again and that we would give of ourselves for you and for the community you have called us to. Lord, transform us that we would be the vision of the kingdom you have determined for us to be that others would see and meet you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.